Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Sunday service. Um, I want to especially, well, first I see the singers are coming back. Thank you for the beautiful, beautiful music and chanting. It's so, such a blessing to have that with us. And I want to welcome especially our new interns who are joining us for our stay here. We're very, very happy that you can experience this beautiful community. And we hope you gain a lot from your stay here. And also we want to thank everyone who came and helped with the amazing work day yesterday at the new house that is next to Ananda. And uh, it was really, uh, we could see in all of you that energy was transformative. And thank you. Thank you for what you did. Okay, we have a beautiful topic today. It doesn't first seem like it's beautiful, but it will be. <laughs> and the topic is, why do devotees fall? But just wait. <coughs> it gets better. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. An endlessly fascinating question is, why did Judas fall after receiving the extraordinary blessing of being accepted into the inner circle of Jesus Christ's disciples? For Judas was one of the 12 apostles, yet he betrayed Jesus and earn for himself the opprobrium of Christendom for all futurity for his sin. We find Judas reprimanding Jesus just days before that betrayal. Jesus, aware that his disciple would, aware that his disciple would soon be facing, even with his death, the supreme tragedy of their lives, allowed Mary to express her devotion by anointing his feet with costly ointment. This act of, quote, wanton waste, as Judas saw it, awakened indignation in that disciple. Why was not this ointment sold for three pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and kept the purse and bare what was put therein. Then Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Doubt not the power of delusion. Respect it, indeed, fear it, though not in the sense of cowering before it. For as Yogananda said, one is not safe until he attains nirbhakalpa samadhi, the state of final union with God. Judas, through attachment to money, opened his consciousness to subtle influences, which may be called satanic, that drew his thoughts toward other related attitudes, the importance of worldly power, for instance, and of worldly influence. The Bhagavad Gita gives a graphic explanation of how easily the mind can be drawn downward once it begins to feed on wrong attitudes. In the second chapter, Krishna states, 
If one ponders on sense objects, there springs up attraction to them. From attraction grows desire. Desire, impatient for fulfillment, flames to anger. From anger there arises infatuation, parentheses, the delusion that one object alone is worth clinging to, to the exclusion of all others, end parentheses. From infatuation ensues forgetfulness of the higher self. From forgetfulness of the self follows degeneration of the discriminative faculty. And when discrimination is lost, there follows the annihilation of one's spiritual life. At the first thought of delusion, Paramahansa Yogananda said, that is the time to stop it. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, friends. How nice it is to be together and to be outside on this beautiful almost end of spring beginning of summer day anyway it's really lovely so i want to begin with as we do reading from whispers from eternity i think you're all familiar but just in case you aren't these are prayer poems of master prayer demands to make of God. And Davy and I have had now the practice for many months of ending our meditation by reading one of these and trying to go deeply into it and really commune with it. And I must say it's transformative. I highly, highly recommend it. So this is a good reading for today's topic. Demand to be freed from self-centered evil habits and temptations. Teach me, O Spirit, to distinguish between my soul's lasting happiness and the temporary pleasures of the senses, touch, taste, smell, sight, and hearing. Strengthen my willpower. Teach me not to be enslaved by bad habits. Teach me to be guided only by good habits, formed by good company and meditation. I'm going to read that again. Formed by good company and meditation. Teach me above all to be guided by thy wisdom. Teach me to shun evil by right judgment and discrimination. Teach me willingly to adopt all good ways influenced only by inner freedom and not compelled to evil by hardened habits. So, as Davy said, this is a very interesting topic this morning. So, you know, the question, the topic is, why do devotees fall? Well, the answer is simple. Devotees fall the same way everyone falls, because they trip. <laughs> the more interesting question is, what trips them up? What trips us up? 
we're constantly dealing with this, I don't know, uh, this dynamic. So let's go into what trips us up today. You know, it's the reading really focuses on the guru-disciple relationship and that relationship between Judas and the other uh, disciples and Jesus, of course, was very powerful, even though Judas slipped up and tripped and fell because of it. But his, his problem was that he began to think that his opinion was better than that of Jesus. His insights were more important. His wisdom was higher. And in this particular case, as happens, all of us, see, all of us have a little bit of Judas in us. And so the question is, where in our consciousness do we have that thought that kind of, I know better than Master did. I know better than, he was a little old-fashioned. He was a little whatever it is. But it, it gets very subtle. For Judas, what happened was he began to, because he had an attachment to money, he began to, one might say, get judgmental about the way Jesus has dealt with money, which was how did Jesus deal with money? He just didn't care about it. That's a terrible thing to somebody who's attached to money, not to, to have somebody who doesn't care about it. And so Judas began to think about how Jesus was wrong with that. And then he began to criticize him. And then he decided that he should betray him. And now, now that's a step beyond what any of us are ready to take. But nonetheless, as I say, we all have a little bit of Judas in us. We have some areas in us where if we don't consciously judge Master or the teachings, we aren't quite ready to go along with them yet. There's something, something in our consciousness that is resistant to us. And so Jesus, uh, Judas got to the point where he was so certain that he was right that he decided that Jesus had to um, be gotten rid of. Now, Master said an interesting thing, very interesting thing. He said that Judas could have avoided that karma on a personal level. He said, but it was the mass karma that Judas tied into that really led to his downfall. And that mass karma was the karma, one might say, that is always there in the world of a struggle of power. And those who have power refuse to relinquish it. In this case, the priests, the hierarchy of the church. But isn't that true for basically all religions? That the hierarchy of the church, the establishment, is threatened by those who challenge it. And who challenges it? 
the saints, the prophets, those who are filled with um, God realization because you can't count on that being true in, in establishment or hierarchy in, in anywhere in the world. And so what Judas did was he began out of his attachment to money, he began to align himself with those who were opposed to, to Jesus. So one might say, coming back to the, that beautiful passage in the Gita, he began to gaze on those who had power. And gazing on them, he began to get attached to that. And getting attached to that, he began to think that he should have power and Jesus should have power and these disciples, we should have power and money gives us power. And, and so then frustration arises, anger arises, the loss of discrimination. But see, he was tuning in to a universal trend and he was aligning his individual will with that universal trend. And that, my friends, is the dilemma that we all face. What trends are we attached to? What trends do we align ourselves to? Because if we can hold on to the guru and not allow our minds to be moved away from him, then, then we'll be safe. But everything, everything else that we attach ourselves to. And it can start out looking so gloriously good, but it begins to veer off and then it goes off into, a, if, if not a downward pull, at least a little cul-de-sac. And then we have to extract ourselves from that enthusiasm that may take days, may take months may take lifetimes to kind of come back and only the only God see it isn't just Jesus or master what they represent is God in manifested form and so when we attach ourselves only to God and focus only on God only he leads us into the consciousness that is free from delusion. Everything else will eventually lead us back to delusion. So now let's come back to um, Judas and what, what happened to him after this terrible betrayal. Well, first of all, it couldn't have been completely about money because if it was really only about money, he got his 30 pieces of silver. He got his little bag of money. And if it was only about that, he would have said, great, let me find ways to spend this. Let me find ways to use this to get more power. But he was deeply remorseful and he, he, he committed suicide because there was so much remorse. Swami said he thinks that what was really happening is that money only represented what Judas wanted on a deeper level, which was power. And that what he was upset about was not the fact that Jesus just ignored money. He was upset that Jesus ignored the fact 
that he had power and he could have exerted that in the world and forced others to behave properly or whatever Judas wanted him to do. But Jesus refused to do that. He didn't care about that any more than he cared about money. God doesn't work that way. The world works that way for sure. But so, so uh, Swami has speculated that Judas was, was upset. He was trying basically to force Jesus into a position where he needed to show his power more publicly and, and, uh, and they, would, they would see the consequences of that. So what happens? Now, Judas, now that act of betrayal in the minds of many in the world, as Swami puts it, uh, Jesus has obtained the appropriate appropriate of uh, Christianity forevermore. So there's been huge judgment against Judas for his act. Just think about it for a second. He was one of the 12 disciples. Now, who are some of the other disciples? John and Mark and Matthew and Paul and Peter. Now, there are people all over the world named after those other disciples. We've got Matthews here. We've got Marks here. I'm one of the Johns. We've got lots of those. Have you ever heard of anyone ever being named Judas? I mean, that dark cloud has trailed along with, with that act for more than 2,000 years now. So the world has really, really harshly judged him. So one must assume that God has judged him even more harshly than that. Jesus, if he'd been a politician, would have really wanted to get revenge over this terrible betrayal, wouldn't he? Well, let's find out what Jesus did. This is from the New Path. So, discussions on reincarnations sometimes became intensely interesting. One day I asked Master, did, Jesus, uh, did Judas have any spiritual realization? He had some bad karma, of course, Master replied. But all, that, all the same, he was a prophet. He was? This variant on the common theme of that disciple's villainy astonished me. Oh, yes, Master asserted emphatically. He had to be, to be one of the twelve. But he had to go through 2,000 years of suffering for his treachery. He was liberated finally in this century in India. Jesus appeared to a certain master there, it was Ramakrishna, whom he asked to free him. I knew Judas in this life, Master added. Isn't that interesting? You did? Eagerly I pursued the matter. What was he like? Always very quiet and by himself. He had a little attachment to money. One day, another disciple began to poke fun at him for this tendency, but the master shook his head. Don't, he said quietly. Leave him alone. So... 2,000 years seems like pretty long punishment, 
But if we live lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, two or three lifetimes for the greatest villainy in history, actually it doesn't seem like that much. And it was Jesus himself who asked Ramakrishna to free him in this lifetime. Jesus didn't care about the treachery, the betrayal. What he cared about was poor Judas. Oh, too bad. Now he's going to have to suffer. Ah, oh, why did he have to do that? Couldn't he have held himself from those actions? Couldn't he have, by just a little bit more attunement, not had to align his consciousness with that trend of universal consciousness that pulled him back out into the world? He was so close. Oh, well, let him have a couple more lifetimes and then I'll get him free. But that's the, that's the way the masters treat us. They don't look at us according to the mistakes that we've made. They don't judge us. If God had been judgmental, I don't know, Judas would have been sent back to be a germ and then had to go all the way up from there. But, but that isn't what... We should not regret or dwell on our past mistakes. God doesn't do that. He doesn't judge us. When we dwell on our past mistakes with regret or, uh, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Oh, I was so terrible. That's actually a greater flaw than the original mistake itself. One time Swami was, um, Master sent him, there was a disciple who was at very close to death. And so Swami, Master asked Swami to go and be with him in the hospital. And then when he came back, Master asked him about it. And he said, oh, this man was uh, so uh, regretful. He was uh, so sorry for the mistakes that he had made in this lifetime. And Master just shook his head and, oh, I wish he hadn't done that. You see, at the end of this life, as Swami has put it, we take the final exam. And that final exam is going to allow us, the life force is, going, is in the process of exiting the body. And it will do one of two things. It will exit the body through the area of the medulla, and if it does that, that means that we're going to reincarnate again. Or it will exit, not through the area of the medulla, but the medulla, one could say, is the end of the egoic spine. The projection of light that comes up through that egoic spine, or the spine of the body, is reflected in the spiritual eye. And if we can keep our consciousness there at the time of death, then we exit into the light, not into the ego. And what Master was saying is, oh, by dwelling on the mistakes, by dwelling on the regret, the downward pulling tendencies, he just is going to now have to deal with 
with all of that. So coming back to the theme about all of us have this little bit of Judas within us, on, and it can be very, very subtle. It's not obvious or we would have pushed it away already. But we have to be very mindful of what trends we allow our mind and especially our emotions to get involved in. It's not wrong to make money. It's a wonderful thing, in fact, to make money. If we look at Rajasi, Master's most advanced disciple, but Rajasi wasn't attached to the money the way Judas was. He made, he was far richer than Judas was, but he used that as service to the guru. So everything that we have, everything that we do, can be done in such a way that if we offer it to the guru, then it becomes freeing. And we, we don't get out of this world by suppressing or pushing away or, or ignoring the past tendencies we have. We get out by spiritualizing those tendencies, by turning them always toward God and the guru. So the, the real way out of it is to, as Master said, catch those tendencies as quickly as you can and then turn your mind back to the guru. And I'll just end with a couple of things. I, I was actually very touched by the chance that you chose. Um, one of the ways that we work with this, uh, turning the mind back toward the guru, is that we have to have little devices that keep us doing that. And so, I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to do better if I take a chant or two or three, and I stay with that for quite a long time. And in meditation, one of the chants that I've been using for months is, from this sleep, Lord, will you wake me? From this dream, Lord, will you wake me? See, it all starts with that. If we don't want to wake out of delusion, well, God's going to let us sleep. It's when we want to get up, when we want to wake up. And that has to come deeply and sincerely from, from deep within. And so I've been taking that chant as deeply as I can in meditation and trying to strengthen that. As I say, the, we align ourselves with certain currents in the world. And so I've been trying to align myself with that particular current. Wake me up, Lord. I don't want to sleep and dream in this world of Maya any longer. And so in meditation, I've been chanting that deeply, uh, as deeply as I can, and trying to get behind the words into the real flow of it. But then also the other chant that you chose Jai Guru, I've been, during the waking hours, Swami one time, more than one time, people used to ask him for a mantra because other paths have mantras and um, people would think, well, I'd, I'd like a 
mantra to say because that's like a magical feather or something. And um, Swami said, well, if you want a mantra, do Om Guru. Or he also said, do reveal thyself. But very, very, very simple. Didn't want the mind engaged in, in some Sanskrit formula that you don't really understand. Om Guru, reveal thyself. And so during my waking hours, I've been combining Jai Guru and Om Guru. And in my mind, I've felt Jai Guru, Jai Guru is asking Master. Jai Guru, obviously, I think you know, means victory Jai, victory to the Guru. Well, the particular victory I'm asking for is for him to wake me up out of delusion, for him to have, help me have victory over any tendencies that might take me into one of these currents of consciousness that lead out into another cul-de-sac. I, I, I'm done with that. I'm, I just want his help in, in the victory over that. And then inwardly for me, Om Guru, Om is the vibration that creates all of reality, outer reality. And so Om, the vibration combined with the Guru, is the vibration that doesn't create outward reality, but creates the reality of God consciousness or self-realization. And so Jai Guru, come on Master, help, help me out here. Uh, give me some victory over these inner tendencies. And Om Guru, all I want is my vibration to merge into your vibration. And so, but each of us need to find little ways to keep our minds coming back again and again. And it'll differ for each one of us. Things that work for me may not work for you, or, or they may. But each of us need to find those things that keep the mind coming back again and again to the ultimate goal. And I just want to end by reading, you know, maybe the greatest scripture is the Bhagavad Gita, certainly the, um, the one for yogis that really resonates. So all of the teachings of Krishna of the Vedas, of the Upanishads, are condensed into this. And then at the end, how does he sum up? What is his takeaway? What does he say? Of all of the teachings of spirituality that comes from India, he said, again, this is at the very end, last part of the last chapter, Again, hear now my supreme word, the most secret and sacred of all, because you are dearly loved by me. I offer it now for your highest benefit. Absorb yourself in me. Be wholly devoted to me. Worship and bow down to me alone. So shall you undoubtedly reach me. This I promise you faithfully, 
for you are dear to me. So that's the sum of all of the scriptures, the sum of why Judas fell because he didn't do it and how to not do it ourselves, not fall ourselves, keep our minds wholly devoted to God and Guru and we'll, we'll have his love bringing us to complete freedom. God bless you. Oh,